Greetings and welcome to a loaded episode of Union Street Hoops. I am your host, Paul Oren, and you can find me on Twitter, and you can find Union Street Hoops, the one and only podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can find it all over the internet, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Pods, Google Pods, really wherever your local podcasts are sold. We have got a lot to get to today. I've got three guests here on this episode of Union Street Hoops. Morgan Fifield is going to join us. She is a manager on the Valpo basketball team, and we talked right after the UIC game. So actually, almost three weeks ago, but it has just been a lot going on with the holidays and all of that of trying to get everything together. And so Morgan will be on here to talk a little bit about what it's like being a manager on the basketball team, especially in the era of COVID, which is going to be a big thing to talk about in a second. Todd Eichau is going to be on the voice of the Crusaders, to talk us through what he has seen so far with the Crusaders. And then we go into the vault, and we've got Sean Huff is joining us, who played at Valpo from 2004 to 2008. I've got a great 35-minute conversation with Sean Huff. He's going to relive a lot of his memories at Valpo. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So a Christmas episode of Union Street Hoops, which is going to be chocked full of information. But the biggest piece of information right now is Valpo basketball may be on hold at the moment. They certainly are not going to play their game tonight, Monday, as I'm recording this, against Mount St. Joseph. That game has been canceled, will not be made up. And going forward, I don't know the answer right now. And, And here's why I say this. So when I when you hear the interview with Todd later on in the in the podcast, you're going to hear us finding out the breaking news about the Mount St. Joseph game as we recorded this right before Sunday Night Football on Sunday. Um, the news came down to both of us uh, that this game had been had been canceled. I think I don't know for certain, but I imagine there's got to be a COVID situation going on in the Valpo basketball program right now, and here's why I say that. When the Valpo team canceled their game or when Valpo postponed the game against Eastern Michigan on December 16th, they actually put out a news release 10 days ago on December 11th. Now, we found out that Eastern Michigan had a COVID case in their program. There's no mention of that at all in the press release. It just says the game's going to been been postponed and will be rescheduled for next season. Valpo's other games are on as scheduled you know, they, they, there's a paragraph about how Valpo's game the next Saturday will be played, yada, yada, yada. In the release about the Mount St. Joseph game, it says that the game has been canceled due to COVID-19 protocols. The game will not be made up. And it goes on to say the health and safety of everyone involved remains paramount and Valpo Athletics will continue to follow national, state, local, and university COVID-19 protocols and guidelines. So, the difference in wording between those two releases really does strike me that this is a COVID situation within the Valpo basketball program. And if that is the case, I have to wonder if they've got to go into quarantine again. There's no way that these games against Bradley can be played as scheduled if there's in fact a COVID case. And those Bradley games are set for a week from today, next Monday and Tuesday, they're supposed to host Bradley. And, and, and so now if Valpo does have to go into quarantine, and let me stress, we don't have that on the record. Um, I just am, am guessing from the wording of these press releases, um, that's where we're at. And so right now, Valpo is scheduled to play at Bradley 
on Monday and two or no home against Bradley on Monday and Tuesday. And then they're supposed to go to Illinois state on Saturday and Sunday, the second and the third. And if Valpo is wiped out for any period of time now, even if they're wiped out for two weeks, if they're in a a 14 day quarantine, if that's the case, they wouldn't get out of this until January 4th or January 3rd or something like that. So it really could not only put Bradley games at risk, but the Illinois State games as well. And this is the the nightmare scenario, so to speak. Again, if that's the case, don't know that it is. Let's be clear about that. Uh, but based on the wording that I'm getting from the two releases that Valpo's done, the Eastern Michigan one where they had COVID in their program, there was really no mention of COVID protocols or anything like that. And in the Valpo release, there's certainly about the Mount St. Joseph game. There's certainly much more detail about COVID protocols and things like that. So Valpo is three and five. The non-conference is over. We don't quite know when the conference season is going to start. It's scheduled to begin on December 28th. Not sure what's going on here. And and, and we're going to find out more detail as we go. Valpo's 3-0 and at home. They're 0-5 on the road. They've had a rough a rough go of it here. Todd Eichau is going to talk a little bit in the beginning, uh, you know, about this team or, or when we get to his interview. I do want to bring in Morgan right now because I really think this is fascinating. A lot of the stuff that Morgan has to say just about what it's like in a COVID world, being a manager, how she got involved. You know, this interview, again, we're a couple weeks out from this, from, from when I talked to Morgan. I just haven't had a chance to package this together and get it to you. We talk a lot about Sarah Fuller as well, because uh, that was the news that had broke right at that point. And Morgan, again, she she is a woman in, you know, as a manager and, and at the college level, you don't see that a lot. And uh, certainly the only woman who is a manager on the Valpo men's basketball program right now. And, uh, and she's been great. And so we're going to bring in Morgan and then we'll bring in Todd. And then we're going to transition right into Sean Huff. You're not going to hear from me again until, except for during these interviews. Morgan, Todd, Sean, a loaded Christmas episode of Union Street Hoops. I really do think you're going to enjoy all of the stuff that's here. Thank you all, and uh, and Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. And uh, hopefully I'm, I'm going out of town for a little bit here to see some family. So, um, again, follow me on Twitter at NWIORIN. And as you'll find out, these three guests, I say the same thing before each and every one of them. I'm thrilled to have them on because I truly am. I love when people give time back to the podcast and, and do these interviews. They don't get paid for it. I don't get paid for it. Uh, we just do this because we love we love uh, the, the subject matter and all of that. So thank you to Morgan and Todd and Sean, and thank you to all of you for listening this wonderful holiday season. Take care, everybody. Here is... Morgan. Thrilled to be joined now by really one of the unsung heroes of the Valparaiso basketball program, a region rat, yep. Morgan Fifield. Mm-hmm. Morgan, thank you. You are a manager on the men's basketball team. You are, uh, you have just been, you've been great in everything you've done. And I, I go back to, uh, for Valpo fans, if you really want to know uh, one of the least things that Morgan's done, maybe in front of the scenes, you were responsible for making sure that all the games in Canada last year were able to be streamed on the internet, right? Yes, yep. I, that was huge because it, it was in the middle of August and we were all just pining for Valpo basketball. And and just before we get into anything else, take me through that. Didn't you have to like run to a bunch of different stores or something like that to figure out how to get these games, how to get them broadcast? Oh yeah, the morning of was crazy. So we 
we were talk we were only talking about live streaming them and we didn't really know how we were going to do it and then it was the first game day um i think it was concordia that we played and um we sam and i were the me sam and zach were on the trip and we got up like really early um right when the closest mall opened where we could get a tripod and we like ran there on the street we didn't even have time to like uber so we ran a couple blocks down to get this little tripod and then run all the way back and make it in time to load the bus and get to our game but it worked out so and it, it was amazing because i was able to watch the game fans were able to watch the game we were able to get some insight into that team and it's a lot of times it's the behind the scenes, behind the scenes, hard work that managers have to do. It's one of the reasons, Morgan, why I wanted to have you on. There's a couple of different topics I want to talk about with you, but uh, I guess I'm going to start with this question. Why do what you do? What is it about being a manager that is exciting? And, and what is it, you know, we'll get into what the, maybe the day to day is in a little bit, but, but first and foremost, you know, wh why do what you do? Well, I want to start off by saying I was even shocked when you messaged me about going on the podcast because like we just really, I mean, we don't do it for recognition, but we're just so behind the scenes that I was like, I can't believe you would want to talk to me. But um, we do it because just because we love the program, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's like a family here. And I really just look forward to coming here every day. Um, we just all love the sport. We all have a common goal which is to win and to be a team together. And um, yeah, it's just, sometimes you do ask yourself, you're like, why am I? Cause you know, last night I was here until 1am doing laundry, but you just, you love it so much. It's so much work and it's so much fun. It's all what, it. it's So in a general, in a general day or, 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 you know, I'm sure game day is different than practice day and off days and all of that, but what are maybe like four or five of your responsibilities that managers have to do? And I imagine it might be that every day means there's five different other things you have to do. Right. Um, it's pretty fulfilling. So game days do differ. Um, game days are so much fun, but for a typical practice day, um, well, we're here before the players get here and after the players get here. So um, practice setup is one of our first things we got to do. Um, so that's, you know, water, I do shot clock, game clock, things like that during practice, um, setting up the rims, all that kind of stuff. And then after it's just kind of like takedown, um, like today, for example, I'm taking a break now, we're packing for Purdue. So we got to get all the bags ready, make sure we have all the boards, things like that. Uh, we do take players um, to appointments and stuff like that occasionally. Um, Sam and I cut film sometimes. Um, just like a lot of things that you wouldn't think of or forget about, that's what we do. Like our whole goal is like efficiency and making everyone else's jobs easier. So I, I remember this was this was interesting. I want to take you back to March. I was in Target and I bumped into you. I want to say like, I don't know, maybe the third or fourth day of COVID. We weren't in quarantine yet or anything like that. And you were wearing a mask and you were the first person that I saw in life wearing a mask in public. And it struck me as odd. I just wasn't used to it. And I remember saying to you, what's going on? And I think, was it Sigurd's brother had come to visit Sigurd had had surgery and, and you were responsible for a lot of different things. I think you were going to target to pick up some stuff for Sigurd uh, who was recovering from surgery. Again, you've got to love what you do to, 
to go to Target all the time, right? Right. No, it's so fulfilling. Like these small tasks, like it all has a purpose. Like every win, every loss just like hits a little bit harder because you're with them every single day and you just want them to succeed so bad. So you're doing all these little things. But yeah, I was, that was before any mask mandate of any kind. So I was wearing a mask just preventatively and I got the weirdest looks because everyone was like, this girl must have COVID and I didn't. But yeah, his brother came in to help him post-surgery and then he flew back home probably about two weeks after that. And uh, anyone you came into contact with out of the country, you had to quarantine, so. Yeah, I just remember thinking, you know, I, I don't think I gave you a crazy look, but it was like a double take. I was like, what is she wearing? And then, you know, now you walk into Target and they're selling those things all over the place. So, and right. I have, I probably have a dozen masks. So uh, how did you get started in this? Take me back to high school. Um, wh where did you go and, and kind of what was your start in athletics? Um, so I grew up going to men's basketball games as a kid. And my dad actually knew a couple people here. Um, and so like when I was probably like 10 or 11, like Homer Drew was teaching me how to shoot a free throw in the arc, which was pretty cool. But, and I was here for the Ryan broke off shot game. So I always, always was a fan of them when I was little. And then high school, I played basketball up until like my freshman year. I bowled in high school. Not a lot of people know that. And then I just was away from sports. I still an avid watcher, but for a couple years. And then my junior year, they posted an ad on Twitter looking for managers. And I just never thought about it. I guess I never really thought about getting involved. It didn't really occur to me. Um, I was in the pet band for a little bit and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a cool opportunity. I should go for it. And I did. And so, and then about like a couple of weeks after I first started, I realized that coach Gore and I had known each other for like a long time and used to come over um, for like dinners and stuff at my house. So it really is a family. <laughs> So at the high school ranks, and I've covered Valpo High School football a lot, generally you see high school girls, freshmen, sophomores, juniors who are managers. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to college, generally, at least on the men's basketball team here, I have not seen many women be managers. What, what is that? Is that a, I mean, just as you're the only, you're the only woman who's a manager on the team is that what is that uh, is that a thing is that not a thing just to, you know it's I believe if I'm not mistaken I me and um, a girl last year were the first female managers they've ever had I was the first female head manager they've ever had um, and I honestly didn't even know that but it is weird it does drop off there's really not a lot of women managers um, I wish I knew why I wish I could encourage more people to go for it because it's so amazing to be a part of something like this but it is kind of weird I went on all the trips last year and I um people just give me weird looks or I've gotten weird comments it's just it's funny um but it does motivate you a lot so I want to ask about Sarah Fuller this is in the news right now and it, it's funny I I had thought to myself I wanted to have you on I wanted to talk about maybe the the inspiration of seeing someone like Sarah Fuller. Uh, and for those who, who don't know, Sarah Fuller was a, a dominant player on the Vanderbilt women's soccer team. COVID hits, they've got an opening on their team. They need a kicker. Uh, and, and Sarah Fuller was basically brought onto the roster. And uh, to, you know, she kicked in a game last week. She squib kicked, she did it perfectly. 
Um, and then, of course, a bunch of internet trolls said, oh, my God, if she was a real kicker, she could kick the ball farther, blah, blah, blah. It was funny because I watched Monday Night Football and both kickers for the Bears and the Packers both squib kicked, and I didn't see anybody on the internet giving them crap. Uh, Morgan, when you see a woman like that succeed in a all-male environment, what does that mean for you? I, you have to really respect it. I think she's amazing. I think she's basically a dual sport athlete now in the same season, which is incredible. Um, and it, she's like a role model now to all these young girls, which is amazing. And I, you just have to laugh at all the people on the internet to trying to discredit her when she's out there doing the freaking thing. And they're, you know, have all these things to say online, but she's out there doing it. So it's, it's awesome. It was a, it was a lot of fun to watch and also from a position of privilege, I can tell you a lot of fun to watch people freak out on the internet about yeah. this, but does that hit you a little bit differently? Or, I mean, I, I know you, you, you retweeted a lot of positive things about Sarah Fuller, but I, again, I'm sure you saw the trolls. I'm sure you saw that. How do you take all that? Um, it's, I mean, I'm sure it feels different if you're the one that they're talking about, but it is discouraging because you would think that in the year we're in, we've moved forward, but obviously we have a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, maybe some internal misogyny that happens or, I mean, I can relate to her. I've gotten mocked on the road with the boys, believe it or not. I've been called, I've been asked if I was their cleaning lady or the bus driver or, you know, things like that. If I'm the head coach, like laughed at, but it's, it honestly motivates you more than, it, you know, you would be offended by it or anything. So I, I really look up to her. I admire it a lot. I think she's so cool. All right. I want to ask you some fun questions about the basketball team in general. Um, who, uh, well, first of all, do you have a favorite player on the team? Like, is, is there someone who, you know, is just uh, the funniest or just someone that, I mean, I mean, cause you guys are a family and, and yeah. you've got, I'm sure you got brothers and sisters and in, in, in the family of people that you're closer to. And then, you know, if you're like my family, you got brothers and sisters that you can't stand. <laughs> um, I'm sure they would, I would all hear something later if I said a favorite, but okay. I feel like I should make a note that I've lived with Sigurd now, like two or three separate times from quarantine and then just him coming back from Norway. So we're pretty close. Um, you gotta love Sig. Um, me and Sam, though, the other manager, are pretty close. We've grown, we do everything together. We're here after hours. So that's like a special bond that I wouldn't have if I wasn't doing this. So, Who is the biggest jokester on the team? Um, probably, probably, mm, maybe Luke or Saki. They're pretty funny guys. Okay. Yeah. I like Luke. Luke is uh, yeah. Luke's definitely Luke and Emil look like uh, they were having a good time. I know they couldn't play yesterday, but they look like they were having a good time. Uh, here's a fun one. Um, and I look, I would ask this of anybody. So this is not just me asking a woman for this question, but who's got the best fashion sense on the team. Hmm. Um, I, I know that these guys spend a lot of time on their outfits, right? Right. I'm not there. They all have, really nice shoes obviously but um Emil has a little bit I think European style is kind of interesting so I think the foreigners kind of have a leg up there I like the way that Europeans dress sometimes I want to I want to go back to St. Louis last year um 
what was that experience like? I mean, was there a moment, was it the Loyola game? Was it the Missouri state game? Was it, I mean, you got to see the behind the scenes of Kaiser's black and blue and purple and whatever other colored ankle and Javon barely being able to walk. Just what, what memories do you take from St. Louis? I will never forget St. Louis. It was crazy. Yeah. John's ankle people really haven't seen it in person or like people would just say, Oh yeah, John's hurt. He's playing on it. It was disgusting. Let me tell you, I don't know how he played on that. It was crazy, but that was one of the craziest, most fun experiences. It's really surreal when you're there because you leave the hotel to go to the bus and play every day. And you don't know if that's going to be your last night there or not. And you really don't want it to be, but um, you're always on the edge and the Loyola game was by far the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever experienced in my life. It was so, it was awesome. I, there's, it leaves me speechless to this day. Now you graduated and, and you could have gone on to start your career, but you've elected for graduate school. And I imagine it's part of the pull of this program and this family that brought you back a little bit, right? Yes. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't even consider graduate school much. I, I graduated, well, kind of graduated, I guess, in, in May. And then my mom brought it up to me. Um, and I was looking at jobs and stuff and then COVID hit and it was such a weird time. And I just figured, you know, if there was any time to go to graduate school, it's probably now. And they, um, they welcomed me back with open arms and offered me a position to come back for the season. And of course I took it. So it's an amazing decision. I'm really glad I did it. I love graduate school. Valpo's awesome. So I want to ask about COVID. You've been a manager now for two years prior to COVID and now in a COVID year. As somebody whose role is to prepare a ton of things and make things easier, we are now in a world where nothing is easy. How has it changed? How, how has COVID affected what you have to do to get ready for practice or what is like, I mean, games, everyone's spaced out, all of that. I mean, are, what, what new roles and responsibilities are in, in your back pocket now with COVID? Um, it's a little bit more work. We didn't, we weren't allowed to have any new managers coming in the season. So it is just a few of us. So we do have a little bit more responsibility combined. Um, but we do, you know, have to sanitize everything after practice. And we have, you know, those trackers that everyone wore at the game, uh, which help a lot. We're testing pretty much almost every day now. Um, it's pretty much the same. You just have to take a lot of precautions. And obviously the mask wearing is a, a big change too. Um, but the general tone of this season is a lot different than last season because I, I mean, for me, I'm sure the guys, especially, um, it just feels like it could be taken away from you at any given moment. Um, because it's so, everything is so unpredictable and, you know, our game against Trinity just got canceled. Like, I feel as if anything could happen at any time. You just never know. So. I want to go to the UIC game last night. Uh, and for those, um, who are listening, we're, we're recording this on, uh, Wednesday afternoon, December 2nd. Um, it was a rough game. There's no, there's no question about it as a manager who, I mean, I know that you you love the wins and you hate the losses because you're part of the program, part of the team, part of the family. But as a manager, or if you're Emil or, or Luke and you can't be out there playing, you can't do anything about it. What, 
I mean, does it hurt more because, I mean, you can't go out there and knock down a three-pointer? I mean, what do you, and, and I'll, I'll also, I'll, I'll say this, at the end of the night, when I talked to Matt on the phone, Coach Lodick, he'd said the message to the locker room was, we all need to look in the mirror and figure out how we can do better. Do managers look in the mirror? I mean, what, how do you take that loss and how do you move forward from something like that? Um. I mean, yeah, he's right. He did say the same thing in practice again today. And we like to say we like to get 1% better every day. So the, I mean, the theme for practice today was just to go in. It's a new day. You know, obviously we have to learn from last night because it wasn't an ideal game, but, um, but yeah, we, you do kind of feel responsible in a way, but it's at the end of the day, you you just have to make sure everything else runs smoothly so that they can perform their best. So I feel like as long as we, you know, feel that we did what we could to prepare them, then, then it's on, it's on them and they, they can handle it. So. We've seen people like Jason Karras have come through uh, as a, as a walk on, he's a manager and then a walk on Peter Funk was a manager and, and now a director of, whatever basketball opera. I'm, I actually don't know who has which job in there, but uh, what's the next step for you after this season? Do you have any thoughts as to where your career path might take you? Um, I'm not sure. This program is a two-year program that I'm in, but as far as, as jobs go, I'm so anything in athletics, I'm really open to. I, when I come in to undergrad, I was undecided. And then I just realized that if I wasn't doing anything in sport, I probably wouldn't be happy. And I wanted to spend money on a degree that I would like. So I really do like what Jason does, like operations and I like player development jobs. So ideally I want to do something in there where you're like still part of a team. Like this atmosphere is, I really, I just really thrive on it. Um, and then since doing that, it's really like solidified that this is like the area that I want to be in. So somewhere in there. I want to end with this. Valpo's managers have had a team the last couple of years in the manager games. I don't imagine we're playing a lot of manager games this year because of COVID and all that. But are you a three-point shooter? Are you someone who's getting in the post? Are you a, are you a distributor? Are you a pass-first point guard? What, what, what does Morgan look like on the basketball court? I actually don't play in them. I, I, I keep score for the managers. So I'm also a manager for the manager team, but. Good chance here to get a dig on Zach Sewell. Who wins in a one-on-one -on -one game and why do you win 11 to nothing? Oh, I would beat Zach. I have a better shot than Zach. No question. Zach is another guy from the region who is, uh, is, is a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get grief from him because I didn't have him on the podcast, which I'm gonna have to at some point, but Morgan, thank you very much. You really, you know, I, I reached out to you and, and really the managers in general, I, I just think that what you guys do gets overlooked by a lot of people. And it really shouldn't because I think you guys are the lifeblood of, of a basketball program. Thank you. Uh, staying positive, testing negative or whatever they, they keep saying, whatever taglines out there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, Morgan. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be joined by the voice of the Crusaders, Todd Eichau. Todd, it is, uh, we're coming down to the end of uh, Kansas City, New Orleans in a huge football game. So you know, <laughs> I know we're going to be looking at some things while we're recording this for uh I don't know if people will be only. right. I don't know if people will be um, 
watching as they're listening to us though but okay, no no good. they'll be listening to this on monday long after um you know hey thanks for joining union street hoops been a strange year we're doing this over zoom right now so if the auto audio quality isn't what we're used to when we sit in the same room it's just what it is uh valpo has for more or less wrapped up their non-conference schedule so far they're playing one more game against a school that i didn't even know existed um Mount St. Joseph on Monday. And that will be a, a special game for you in that you'll get to be there and call the game. A lot of the games this year you haven't been able to because of being on the road and COVID and all of that. Before we get into this team, I want to ask you, in all the years you've broadcasted, has anything ever prepared you for looking at a screen and trying to call a game off a screen? Well, I think that's how most people grow up trying to broadcast games, like when they were kids, um, do it right off TV, which I've done uh, numerous times. Um, so that's been, it hasn't been real, that part hasn't been that hard to do. The, our issues have been more technical, um, where we're trying to, Grant and I are in different studios trying to sync up. Now, now we did do the game at UIC live in Chicago. We did the game at Purdue live in, in West Lafayette. Um, but I think we've done three games right now from studio and part of it is us trying to sync up our monitors, uh, monitors that have, uh, kind of gone out in, in all three games, we've had situations where monitors did go out in the middle, in the middle of the broadcast. And, uh, what would happen is I, I would have to run to a different studio and use one of Brandon's monitor monitors, or he's come and, and taken one of mine, um, it's been challenging. It's been different, uh, but it's better than not doing the games at all. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, okay. Is this a good basketball team or not? I think it is a, a very middle of the road team. Um, they've lost games that for the most part, you figured they would. I, I, I think maybe you take out Central Michigan, a, a team that I don't think is very good, that, who, who made some shots against Valpo and and um, the Crusaders didn't defend the way they should have in that game and, and maybe didn't make enough shots. Um, they're going to get better because of how young they are. Now, some of the, the veteran players have played pretty well, um, especially lately. Nick Robinson's been maybe Valpo's best player, I, I guess, outside of, of Clay and Crick, you are clearly the two best players on the team. But outside of that, uh, Nick Robinson's played very well. There's been signs that Aaron Gordon – it's kind of a steadying influence who can give you a little bit of offense. They need them to make shots um, and they need other guys to make shots. And, and that's, you know, I, I, Matt Lottick and I talked last night after the game, he said, you just can't win games in college basketball today, making four three pointers. The game has changed too much. It's too important a part of the game to only make four three pointers to only shoot 28% or now they're down closer to 27% from three at the, at this point. Um, eight games into the season. You just can't do it. You can't do it anymore. It's too big a part of the game. So, you know, I've heard from Matt after a couple of the games, we, you know, we, we've talked uh, there on, you know, through text or, or, or just being around and I've talked to other people, you know, they, they're just not hitting three point shots. They're just not doing it. You know, Donovan clay, their best player is shooting 22% from the three point line. Daniel Saki is shooting 8%. They're daring him almost disrespectfully to shoot the three, and he's doing it. Clay can get to the basket, no problem. Saki can get to the basket, no problem. 
Cricky missed his first seven, and he hasn't taken one in a couple of games now. He's he's gotten the message to go to the basket, but but it sounds like they're going to have to hit shots to be in games, right? And look at the numbers they had in the past. You know, Daniel Sackey shot in the high 30s during Missouri Valley Conference play last year. So what's going on there? Uh, I mean, he's, it, it's almost like you can see him take a three, and you know there's no chance it's going in. Um, and they're, as you said, they're daring him to make shots. And, he, and I think Matt said something like, you know, we look at the film, they're wide open. You can't like blame the kid for taking the shots. Uh, and hopefully he works it out in the gym. You know, we've seen guys through go through slumps like this and eventually break out. It's not a big deal that Ben Cricky doesn't make threes because he doesn't need to, to be effective. Uh, shooting close to 60% on the year. Or now I think mid fifties after going at eight for 11, I think from the field uh, in their game on Saturday. Uh, and he is getting better and better. You can see he's a future all-conference player. Without uh, rebounding better. I think the team, the coaches challenged him. You got to grab more rebounds. You can't be our big man and average three rebounds a game. He's rebounded better over the last two ball games. He's, you know, he is a coach's dream. He works his butt off. Uh, he's a winner. Uh, he's going to make plays. Doesn't fold under pressure. Uh, so you can build around him. Obviously, Donovan Clay is a phenomenal player. Uh, 17 points, 13 rebounds on Saturday. Uh, you can build around those guys, but the other guys need to be more consistent. And how much can you, how much can you rely on the freshmen who have been good for the most part? Uh, but can they be good game in, game out? I think the game would have been different yesterday or Saturday, I should say, if Connor Barrett didn't pick up five fouls, never got comfortable in the game, never took a shot. Um, they're depending on him as a very good three-point shooter to open things up by making threes, like Ryan Fazekas a year ago. In the games that Ryan Fazekas didn't play, for the most part, Valpo struggled offensively, not because he had to make four or five threes, but because him spreading things out and being a factor allowed Valpo to get drives to the bucket, get shots inside, get easy baskets, and eventually he's going to hit a few threes and open things up. You need that game in, game out from Connor Barrett. You have to get that from him. And that's why he's playing now over 20 minutes because he is a legit three-point threat. Well, yeah, I mean, he's knocked down 41%. The, the guy who's shot the best so far has been Ognosevic at 53%. But we've seen in some games Ognosevic defensively is just not there yet. He's there's, there's no doubt about it. And the other thing I think is it's, it's even more difficult – when Cricky is in the game for Agnosevic to match up defensively. I think when Cricky's not in the game, then you can find one player, uh, four or a five, that is not a real offensive factor, and Jacob can find him and match up with him. It's more difficult when Cricky's in the game. And, and you understand the issue here. I think Jacob's got to play when you've got a smaller lineup out there. So now when you have that smaller lineup out there and Ben Cricky is on the bench, how many minutes can you go with Ben Cricky on the bench when he's playing so well? Um, so Jacob's lost some minutes. I think over the last two games, he's only played nine minutes in, in both of the last two games. They'd like him to play more. And, and now that Malik's coming back as well, it is a little bit of a log jam, but no doubt, Agnostic has to play more than nine minutes a game. And the coaching staff knows it. It's their issue to work that out. But you need the offense. 
three big topics I want to ask. And the first one is about Malik McMillan. Obviously, we've heard that he put on some weight. These are the words of Matt Loddick. This is not me body shaming him in any way. Um, put on some weight, developed tendonitis, and has has been slowed through the uh, through the the preseason, I guess, or the non-conference, I guess you could say. He did play a little bit against uh, against Toledo, and they expect him to be back, really kind of ready to go for conference. Uh, did you notice that he was moving slower, or did you notice any of that in, in the first? I, I think the one thing that I noticed was after the Vanderbilt game, for whatever reason, he never looked comfortable. There were two or three games the shot didn't look good. Uh, he didn't move as well. Uh, it looked like maybe he was getting tired. It, clear he was not right. I think part of it was the tendonitis. Because when you're when you have a foot that's bothering you, it's hard to get comfortable. It's on your mind, and it's hard to get comfortable from shooting the basketball. Even though you would think, well, the foot, why, why is that? Any part of the body that's uncomfortable, it's going to throw you off. Uh, he, I thought he looked okay on Saturday, uh, but again, he had some open shots in the first half that didn't go down, and it's almost become a, a common theme among the entire team: open shots in the first half and not making them outside of the Purdue game. And if you look at Malik, he's played 67 minutes. He's got nine rebounds. He is, uh, it's just not been, he's not been able to jump very well. He's got two block shots only. It's just been a, it's been a struggle for him. The role of backup point guard uh, or, or let me, maybe not backup point guard, but secondary ball handler, uh, because I think Donovan Clay is a guy who's, who's in that role a bit, you know, Sigurd Lorang was brought in to hit shots. He, he shot 60% from three in limited time last year, hit his first three of the year against Vanderbilt, and has missed his next 12. He looks lost. Stephen Helm played really well against Purdue and then delivered back-to-back -back games where he played 13 minutes and almost didn't register a stat. Um, is, is it Saki and Clay, and that's it at this point, that you can trust to handle the ball? I think some of this goes back to, you know, getting these guys minutes. It almost has become, okay, we've got eight or nine guys we want to play. We've got guys like Clay and Chris who have to play. Todd, we got breaking news. Okay. Monday's game against Mount St. Joseph has been canceled. Oh, really? There we go. Okay. Breaking news. Just, just came in. Just came across the wire. Sorry to cut you off. No. Wow. You Great got tomorrow night off. And what happened? Do we know? I don't know. All we got was just the, uh, all we got is the tweet from uh, Valpo Athletics. The game has been canceled. So you continue talking about the backup point guard. I'm going to tweet this out right now. Well, um, I think it comes down to Paul where, all right, let's get the best players out on the court. Nick Robinson's earned minutes. Aaron Gordon's earned, earned minutes. Um, how do we get more minutes for Jacob Agnostic? Maybe it just comes to, we put our five guys on the court who are good, effective players and let them work it out. And if it has to be Nick Robinson bringing it up, or it has to be Donovan Clay bringing the, the ball into the forecourt, go with it. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Just go with it um, and take it from there. And that's, that's what I think has become where we're at right now with this team is let those guys get out on the court and play the guys who are effective players and take it from there. And that's, that looks like what, you know, Matt Laddick's decided to do is he didn't play Sigurd. 
uh, did not play uh, Steve Helm, uh, had Donovan Clay, handled the ball a lot when Daniel Sackey was on the bench, then they took it from there. Um, I think it's a developing situation, just like canceling games, developing situation. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, you know, I, I think the coaching staff feels like right now we've got guys who have earned minutes. Let's just put them out there instead of, you know, you put it, put somebody out there who has not been effective. What is the purpose of that? Just to say, well, we have an extra point guard on the court. I, I think they're just frustrated enough right now that they're trying to play the best players they've got. So we are bordering on Parker Hazen-esque start, starting as a freshman, starting the career to not playing at all later on in the season with Sheldon Edwards. For your money, Todd, what is going on with Sheldon Edwards? Is, it, uh, is, is this a guy that's going to be able to contribute this season? Was it too much too what? quick for him? Well, uh, one thing is he did have 20 points in a, in a Division One game. So I think he's ahead of Parker Hazen from that situation. Um, I think he lost confidence somewhere along the way. Uh, I think one thing that happened was in practice, he really made a lot of shots and earned a starting job. And because of that, he probably felt, uh, as I just get the official word, Tomorrow's game is canceled as well. Yes, the instant update the uh, as well. Um, and then he starts taking the same shots in the game, and as they don't drop, uh, because shots in a game are always going to be harder than shots in practice, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, he lost confidence, but he still pressed. Like, I, I still got to score. I know I can score. I'm on the court to score. That's my role is to score. And now he's taking a lot of bad shots. And uh, thus the field goal percentage is, is what it is. And I, I think, I, I think we're far from a point where Sheldon Edwards is lost from the program. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be times in games where he's needed. And a lot of it's going to kind of come on how well he does in practice to earn spots in games. Again, like good news, Pagale uh, didn't play nursing, nagging injuries, missed a practice. Then all of a sudden he has a really good practice. And they play him on 20 minutes on Saturday. I think there's going to be some of that throughout the year for Sheldon Edwards. An interesting numeric thing here, Valpo and their opponents. Now, granted, two of them have been non-Division One opponents. Um, they've Both teams have taken 465 shots. Both teams have 210 defensive rebounds. But Valpo has been out-rebounded on the offensive glass by 32 uh, the opposition is just crashing the boards much better, um, which is odd because while the opposition has 32 more offensive rebounds, Valpo has got 10 more blocks. So it's not it's not a product of, of big guys. It's just interesting numbers to look at here is now I guess we can assume that the non-conference season is over. So the yeah. big question, moving away from the numbers, the big question I think was in the first non-conference part, you want to establish maybe your rotation. I feel like this is going to be a fluid thing throughout the year, right? That, that maybe the rotation set, maybe it's not, but again, I, I think, as you said, there, there might be guys that can play their way in and out more so than we've ever seen in years past. Right. I agree. I agree. Everything you just said, I totally agree with one point on rebounding. That was not a great rebounding team a year ago. They got by um, 
John Kaiser was a great rebounder and he got a lot of loose ball rebounds and he had an unbelievable knack at his size for grabbing rebounds. Javon Freeman Liberty, a knack for loose ball yeah. rebounds for, for his size, for the, both those two guys for their size were great rebounders. Donovan Clay, good rebounder. None of the other guys on the team a year ago were even average rebounders. You can't point to one other guy on the team. You would say for his position was an above average rebounder or even an average rebounder. I guess Aaron Gordon for his size and his position would, you would call him at least an average rebounder. None of the other guys really were. Ben Cricky's been challenged. He's got to get better. Malik McMillan, look at the numbers. He really has not been a productive rebounder at all in his career for his size. So now what, what, what does that leave you? That leaves you a team that doesn't react well to missed shots that uh, for whatever reason, lacking kind of what John Kaiser had that innate ability to spot where that ball was going and get to it and grab it, not only boxing out, it's more than just boxing out. It's gotta be boxing out, being physical and knowing where that ball's going. And rebounding is a skill, some of it's effort, but I think Dennis Rodman proved how much of a skill rebounding is. And other guys have throughout their career, Moses Malone and Kevin Love. And you know, like Dennis Rodman proved, you don't have to be the biggest guy in the world to be the best rebounder in the world. And a lot of it is reaction, understanding angles, kind of, it's like any other part of basketball. It's a skill. Some of it perhaps maybe is effort. But uh, when you look at the guys who've been the great rebounders throughout their career, they have some sort of innate ability. Alec Peters was a phenomenal rebounder, right? I mean, just unbelievable. But he wasn't the greatest athlete. No. He wasn't seven feet tall. He couldn't jump out of the gym. Uh, but he was some, whatever it was, understanding angles, have the ability to squeeze the basketball, being physical with blockouts, whatever it was, he was able to do it. And this team, you know, Donovan Clay and Ben Cricky are working their butts off. What they combined for 20 rebounds on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, that part's encouraging. But again, Balboa rebounded and gave up so many more chances at the basket on Saturday. And that cost them really any chance to win the game. I'm encouraged by the way Clay and Cricky have kind of stepped forward from the rebounding standpoint. Hopefully that will continue. And hopefully the, num- the rebound numbers will at least get back to where you are competitive game in game out. And that will give you a chance to win. One of the things that's been really encouraging about Valpo's play so far this year has been their, uh, their production stealing the basketball and, and making teams uncomfortable. They have done a great job at that. And it's come from a lot of different players. Robinson's got 12 steals. Sackey's got 11. Clay's got 10. Cricky's got nine. Cricky doing a great job. Aaron Gordon's got eight. So, being able to disrupt the opposition is going to be uh, is going to be a, a key. Todd, I want to shift the focus to the Missouri Valley Conference, as that's where we're going now. Um, Valpo's got depth in in maybe ways that they've never had before, right? In terms of having a lot of guys yeah. in the program, how much do you think that helps in these back to backs that we're going to see? Um, should help. I think. I think one thing that's good is you've got a lot of guys who are like who are interchangeable, or you might say even from game to game, where if one's not playing well, another one could step up. So I think that will help. Um, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of it will depend like uh, how much do the freshmen improve as the year goes on? How much can you depend on the freshmen as the, as the year goes on? I think a lot of that uh, is still a mystery. And, you know, we were really encouraged. He had Connor Barrett four straight games where he averaged 13 points. I think you need that production from him because he can spread the court. Agnostic. To look at Connor, knowing that he didn't barely, he barely got off the bench in the Vanderbilt game yeah. to the point that he is now, as we're talking three weeks later, you, you need things from Connor Barrett, you know, as opposed to a guy who at the beginning of the year didn't look like he was going to factor in the rotation at all. Tough minded kid, hard nose, uh, you know, like a little bit of uh, anger to him, the way he plays and that helps him grab loose balls. And uh, if he misses a shot, he's not going to hesitate taking the next shot. Uh, you got to like a lot what you see from him. And that's why he's playing all these minutes now. And if he hadn't gotten foul trouble on Saturday, maybe it would have been a game. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, have you paid much attention to the other Valley teams? This feels like it's been such an odd year of, of not having the same kind of uh, um, connection to the rest of the league or the rest of the games as, it, as it's been in the past. I, I agree. I agree. I could probably have seen less Valley basketball in the first month than I had over the previous last few years. So I, I do agree with you. I'm not 100% sure why. Maybe there's been more sports on because everything was pushed back. Um, I don't know the real reason, but I agree. I don't think I've watched an entire Valley team play. I did watch a lot of uh, Loyola in their game uh, this past uh, week. Um, uh, I've seen some of Drake. Uh, you're right. And again, some of the teams had so many games canceled as yeah. well. Uh, but you can look at the results and obviously Drake and Bradley and Loyola. And, you know, you look at Southern Illinois, they all look very uh, competitive and they all look like, uh, you know, the teams that you better show up to play these teams. Otherwise it could be a long night. You, I haven't even dropped this on you yet, but, uh, but, Later on in the podcast, I'm going to have an interview with Sean Huff. Great. Do you have a favorite Sean Huff story that uh, that you remember? Anything about his time with Valpo? Sean was an absolute gentleman. Uh, one thing I loved about Sean Huff, he loved Buffaloes. That was uh, that was <laughs> that was something I, I that I always look forward to uh, after games, uh, showing up for for uh, for some hot wings. Uh, Sean was an absolute wonderful guy to be around. Uh, first class guy, uh, mature, smart, underrated player, uh, had some monster games. Uh, I can't remember which tournament we were at. Um, it was, I, 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 it was a, it was a definite tournament somewhere in the South, maybe South Padre or somewhere where, uh, in the very first game, uh, he had a, like a baseline drive and kind of reverse dunked it, like took off on one end and reverse dunked it the other way uh, from the baseline. So it took off from like left, left baseline, ended up reverse dunking it, kind of tomahawk on the right side. Um, and the next day we were at practice and whoever we were playing that night at shoot around, I can't even remember who it was. They had a scouting report. It might have been Austin P. If you can find a tournament that we played Austin P. somewhere back in the day when Sean played, uh, their scouting report was still sitting. Uh, 
I found it like, like one of the coaches left their scouting report and the scouting report said, um, I believe the, the quote was incredibly athletic can stack house dunk it or something like that, you know, referred to, yeah, referred to that, the stack house move going baseline and dunking on the other side. Um, but he made obviously some incredible plays, uh, the bracket buster game. Yes. Uh, um, which I know you remember was that Miami of Ohio. I believe bracket so. Buster, yes. Bracket buster game where he had the uh, double overtime it was double overtime game. And he had the games all run together now, but I so, uh, had a, a three pointer right at the buzzer to get. So, so here we go. I found it. Sean Huff made a dunk assist by Urule to make it 47 38 in the second half against Maryland Eastern shore. That was the game. That was the game. Wait, wait, wait. Here's interesting. Here's interesting. Sean Huff was one of eight from the floor in that game. That was his only basket that he made. Um, And so the next game against Austin P. Valpo wins 61-47. Sean Huff with 11 points and nine rebounds. So uh, that was the year we had played at Vanderbilt, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, And then flew to South Padre. Yes. And the weather was terrible there, by the way. It was some stormy weather in South Padre over Thanksgiving. Uh, but, yes, that was at Maryland Eastern Shore. Uh, and then Austin P. And then who did Valpo play in the third game? Uh, no, it was, it was just a two-game tournament in that right. one. And, uh, and then Valpo came home and, and beat, up the, uh, beat up the MAC. And then two wins over Wright State and Detroit, the first two games in the Horizon League. Um, and every, and then, and then, uh, beating Evansville, it was, uh, that was the one where Wisconsin Valpo went that year. Valpo went to Wisconsin. I can't wait to ask Sean about this. The terrible officiating at Wisconsin. And it all ties in as the Valpo women went to Wisconsin today and, uh, lost a, lost a close one. Last one in overtime, yeah. Todd, just your final thoughts on the Valpo team as they go into now Valley play. It looks like, um, a week from tomorrow, a week from Monday, they'll play Bradley, uh, two games against Bradley, then on the road at Illinois State. Um, what what do you expect to see? I think it, they're going to get better. I think they're going to be very competitive. Uh, I think the team's going to come around. I think we're going to we're going to see better things. Um, I'm encouraged that like Cricky and Clay have stepped to the forefront as really formidable players because um, there was a time. Uh, you know, maybe over the first couple of weeks where it was on and again and off again. And now they realize they've got to dominate. And then if you can get guys like Connor Barrett and Agnosovic to be consistent, make shots, keep them in the game. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of very, very competitive games. Hey, it's always tight in the Valley. And although it's been frustrating thus far for Valpo fans, because they they're yet to get a road victory uh, against teams that, uh, I think most of them pretty similar to Valley competition. Um, I think we'll see some victories coming up. Valpo's one and five against division one teams, but Hey, so Kentucky is also one and five against division yeah. one team. So yeah. Todd, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And we will see you here, uh, as we get ready for Arch Madness, a couple months right. from now, we'll have you back I, on. I, my best to Sean Huff. Absolutely. Thanks Paul. Thrilled to be joined right now by one of Valpo's fan favorites, Sean Huff. Sean, thank you. You played at Valpo a minute ago from 2004 to 2008. It was a while ago, but uh, 
I was scrolling through Facebook the other day and you posted a photograph of, uh, of you in a Valpo uniform, said Valpo days. And I thought, you know what? We got to get Sean on the podcast here. We've had a lot of, a lot of guys from your era uh, join Union Street Hoops. How have you been? How, how's, how's life in the last 12 years since you left Valpo? Yeah, so, uh, so a lot has changed since uh, I left Valpo. Uh, some things have changed, some things have not. I'm still playing basketball, so <laughs> that's, that's similar, except uh, I, uh, after playing 11 years pro a year and a half ago, I came back to Finland and to uh, finish off my career here. You are playing with the Helsinki Seagulls right now on the top level of Finland, I believe. Um, what's that like to be able to play back in Finland now after being away for so long? Oh, it's kind of like uh, uh, at first you don't believe it. You've been gone for so long. You know, I've been, you know, I've been blessed to be able to, you know, travel the world and, uh, you know, uh, be in school for four years and then 11 years abroad. And then uh, the day comes when you decide, hey, you know, maybe it's best for me and my family to come back home and finish off the career here. And, and it's, it's been it's been great just coming home. And you actually uh, there's so many things that people don't realize playing as a is an import like the the pressures and uh, kind of how wild it is the the overseas games is your your job job security is not always what it <laughs> what it maybe should be and then you know to have kind of just be able to come home and just be one of the nationalized players is definitely uh, definitely fun. I did a quick look through your uh, Wikipedia page and you have played in Greece, Italy, yeah. Sicily, Germany, France, back to Germany. A couple of the leagues you played in shut down because of financial issues. It looked like I don't know if it happened while you were playing. Yeah. I, I remember um, kind of infamously Sam Hampa, who was a teammate of yours at, at Valpo from Finland. He went pro early and joined a league that shut down. How how much does that play, or how much does that happen? Like when when you're not really sure where the next paycheck's coming from, or the instability of overseas basketball. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, I mean, there are different areas, you know, I mean, uh, Germany and France are really, uh, the labor laws are so strict that, you know, players are pretty secure there. And uh, so, but then you go to the Mediterranean and it can get a little, it can get a little tricky over there <laughs> with, the, with the things. And like what happened with, um, what happened with Sam, with the team was so unfortunate that uh, I guess the, I guess the owner, had some stuff going on and and uh, and he was under investigation and they just he just they just shut the team down and things can happen like that and I think I think a lot of it has to do with uh, a lot of the teams might be run instead of being run by a board it might be run by you know uh, one rich guy and when that's the case it's you're just up to somebody's whims you know if they don't feel like doing it anymore then that's the <laughs> that's the end of the club instead of you know kind of having a more secure setting with sponsors and the money coming from different areas. So there were a couple things about, we'll get into Valpo basketball connection in a little bit. I didn't realize your father played at Drake, which Valpo is now in the same conference as. Do you, yeah. you, you keep up with Valpo at all? And do you know that they play Drake now all the time? Yeah, I, I see that actually now. They're in the Missouri Valley, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because my dad always talked about the Missouri Valley. And I actually... Uh, my uh, my dad was he called Drake. Drake was one of the schools that you know I had a possibility of going to, but they were out of scholarships, so that kind of that option kind of ran out. So, but yeah, we kind of talk about it. My dad actually played there during the glory days of Drake, so 
Well, they're bringing it back now. Drake's Drake's roster is filled with guys from Northwest Indiana, actually. Uh, guys that really? are around here. They're almost their entire starting five are guys that okay. went to school around here in Valpo. Um, and you are the uncle of Ezekiel Elliott? Uh, yes, actually. <laughs> That's true. Uh, a small world, right? <laughs> yeah, that is that is crazy. Um it's uh, not not good timing to talk about this because Ezekiel <laughs> out with an injury yesterday, but I picked up his backup in fantasy football and I'm in the championship game now. So I guess that's good. But uh, oh, good for you. I got I got knocked out yesterday. So, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So Matt Loddick, Valpo's head coach, his his uh, father in law for the longest time was an was an assistant coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And so the, okay. you know, the Cowboys kind of have become uh, an adopted team that people enjoyed around here until they fired his father-in-law. And now I, I think <laughs> no one likes the Cowboys anymore. So, um, okay. I want, I want to talk about Valpo. So you said Drake was a possibility. How does a guy from Finland end up at Valparaiso, Indiana? Okay. So right now I'm going to say some stuff that a lot of, if, if you have younger listeners, they probably don't even know what's happening. So so uh, the internet, we had the internet, but it wasn't quite what it was in 2004. So I was actually uh, cutting film into VHS. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think the VHS and just kind of sending tape to schools. And then it was a lot of personal connections. So kind of if you knew somebody, you had to, and they might know a coach who knew somebody and then they talked to somebody. And so I had a lot of schools, not a lot of schools. I had a couple of schools after me. Uh, I think Utah had some trouble. They didn't have scholarship. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh was a possibility. They were afraid because of my eligibility because I had played some uh, European competition. And then also uh, there was a case. So I think Illinois State and a couple of D2 schools. But, uh, and somehow we got, we contacted uh, Baylor and we got, to, I had a great talk with Scott Drew. And I think he had just started there. He had been there for a couple of years. And he was afraid of the eligibility case too. So he kind of forwarded me to Homer and we talked and he felt that, you know, even if I, cause there was a possibility I might miss 14 games. It, he thought even if I missed it, you know, I would be a kind of, it, would, it wouldn't hurt them that much and I'd be a good player there. So it's kind of the story how I ended up at Valpo. I came, I took the visit, I loved it. I loved the staff. I loved everything about the school and that's the end of the story. It's interesting too. So, you know, I, I graduated from Valpo in 2002 and I came back in 05 to, to cover the team and, and be around. And so I missed your first year there. Your second year, you were on fire and then you had a, an injury toward the end of the year. And that was an, a very interesting year. You guys had a ton of talent on that team, but then you got hurt and it all kind of that it was a tough year. And then your junior and senior year was some of the most fun I've ever had covering Valpo. You know, the, the game against Oral Roberts where <laughs> a bunch of three pointers late that, and then your senior year, you guys move into the horizon league and, and you have that game on, on national TV, I think, where you score yeah. 32 points. Um, yeah. What I'll ask more specific questions in a second, but I guess when you look back on your Valpo experience, is there is there an event or a game or a thing that you remember more than anything else? Well, uh, I want to rewind back because that sophomore year was probably one of the that was that that team was an exceptional team talent wise. There were so many players from that team that actually went pro overseas. It's unbelievable, and uh, I think uh, I think I was kind of I was kind of the glue guy. I wasn't 
probably one of the most important guys, but I kind of like kind of stuck it together. And uh, that was an unfortunate injury that happened. And it's funny that you remember I was in fire because I actually was, but I was in I was in one of the worst slumps ever because I had changed my shot <laughs> with Bryce Drew and we changed my shot and we just had to have the faith that I would start hitting shots and eventually start hitting shots and then I just got hurt. But I would say one of the most, uh, uh, some of the most memorable moments, uh, probably uh, my senior year, just the team and how close we were as a team and probably maybe the, uh, maybe the win at Washington in the CBI or one of those televised games, definitely. Uh, and kind of the, the closeness of that group and how close we were as a team. It was interesting, that CBI game, because that was a tournament that had never been around before. No one really knew what to think about it. And you get a chance to go out and play a power five team um, on, te on television, national television. This is interesting now because all the Valpo games now are on ESPN three. They're all on TV, but like, or all, all available back then it was such a big deal to get on TV. Um, what was that like to know maybe that Miami of Ohio game or that Washington game, knowing that the yeah. cameras were going to be there, was that a different kind of juice in the energy that in the arena then? Uh, yeah, definitely. But I think, I think the biggest energy we got were from the fans, you know, and kind of the, uh, the culture that we built during there. I remember just as a team, like being a tight knit grip and um, tight knit group and just going to the volleyball games and, you know, doing the, uh, you know, starting the Valpo dance and doing all this, this stuff and, uh, the student section going crazy. And that's just probably the most memorable thing, memorable things. And, something that really got us, you know, going when we were home and that crowd is behind you and they're going crazy and you felt that you could come back from any, any deficit there is. It was, uh, and for, we're, we're doing this on Zoom and I was able to see Sean was throwing up the Valpo Vs right there. Um, <laughs> you know, it, those, that, that, those years in particular, your, your sophomore, junior, senior year, I can remember all of the athletes of football, volleyball, women's basketball, they would line the mezzanine to watch the games. It was, uh, I mean, it was like standing room only, it felt like. And um, well, now, you know, with COVID, obviously that there are, there are no fans at games. Yeah. Um, but even in the last five years or so, that's kind of gone away because, you know, people have, are on the computer all the time and they can watch it yeah. from the dorm room and everything. Um, I, I want to go back to your sophomore year. This is uh, maybe a slightly controversial question, but I've had Dan Opland on here before. We've had Musa on here before. That's fine. <laughs> what didn't work about that team? You guys were loaded. That was really one of the most talented teams, top to bottom. A lot of seniors on that team. You bring in Mo Kone, and uh, and it just didn't it didn't work. What what happened that year? I think, well, that's the beauty of basketball, isn't it? You know, it's not yeah. always about the individuals. It's uh, you know, it's how the individuals click. And it was just, uh, you know, we had a lot of guys, and it was just a. Guy, I think it felt like guys were in a different phases of maybe their uh, careers and they were maybe, maybe they were looking ahead. It's, it's hard to speak for others, but I, uh, we didn't have, uh, I felt like my importance for the team was that I was kind of the glue guy. I was kind of that, I would move the ball and I would do maybe little things. And we had guys who were super talented, like they could score, you know, play great defense, rebound and stuff like that. But it's also a game of intangibles, you know, who sets a good screen, who makes, you know, a good out, good, good, a uh, good pass to the big guy inside and just, just little things. And I felt like that team might've been missing that. And it wasn't as a tight knit group as my uh, junior and 
senior year. I say my senior year, I feel like that was a better team, but definitely the talent was not probably not even half of the, my team that we had our sophomore year. Yeah, that's again, that, it's, that sophomore year group was such an interesting, interesting group. Um, but again, you're, you're looking at a guy like Ali Berdiel coming back from yes. pro plantar fasciitis. He's, yeah. he's still playing pro right now. Yeah. Uh, Dan Opland, I think, is still playing. Uh, Ron Howard played Ron forever. Howard. Yeah. Uh, man, so many pros on that team. But you're right. It just it didn't click. And I really do think that when you went out, it changed the dynamic. Um, I want to ask you uh, later on, you know, you I mean, you played most of your career with Jake Diebler, who has been a, a guest on this podcast before. And, and we love following Jake. Um, he's probably felt like an annoying guy to practice against because he I think <laughs> probably went went balls to the wall all the time what was what was it like going up against Jake Jake is the kind of guy that I feel like uh, every team needs he's the guy that does all the stuff you know in practice that you just hate you know he's taking charges he's doing all the extra stuff and just the things that I was talking about earlier and uh, you know you hate to play against him in practice but in the games you love to have him on your team because he's doing all the little stuff to make the team better and those are the guys really that uh that you miss a lot of times and it's, it's really a it's, it's really fine fun when you find a guy who can enjoy those intangibles you had an opportunity to see bryce drew uh come in as a as an assistant coach he's now been a head coach at valpo at vanderbilt and now grand canyon um you talk about how he worked with your shot a little bit what uh what, what did you learn from bryce and in, in did you get, could you tell early on that he was going to be a, a really good college basketball coach? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt from day one that he was going to be a head coach. I, I think it was just a matter of when you could see the fire in him. I think that's the biggest thing that he really wanted it and he really wanted to help players and he, re, he wanted to develop players. And we just made a small thing in my shot. We just basically like, we brought my chin lower and that's it. So my head would be straight. And I, and it was a small, it was a small detail, but I feel like it kind of transformed my career. It really transformed me from a streaky shooter into really a good shooter. And it kind of helped me become a, the three and D player that I still am today. This is a tough topic, but I, I feel like maybe something you might be able to touch on a little bit. And again, if, if, if you don't want to go to detail, it's fine. I think you got here after Kenny Harris had had been in the hospital right was that i was i was i was lifting weights when and when he uh when he got the stroke i was his so you partner. were there okay yes, I, mean, is, I was his partner is there, i know that there's a lot of like things that people don't want to talk about with this whole thing or whatever but is there anything that you remember from that whole situation and, and kind of how tough it was for you guys as a group i, re I remember like it was yesterday it was just you know he was uh you know he had a he had a tough set you know and he looked like he was down because he had a tough set in the weight room and I kind of I put my hand on his shoulder and I was like Kenny it's okay you know no worries you know like you'll get it you'll get it next time or you know you'll have a better day in the weight room and and he just collapsed and I just like and you see immediately when somebody you know collapses like how it is and from that on it's kind of like uh, kind of like just like still still pictures I remember running to the training room and saying you know Kenny needs help and after that, they, they were telling me in the training room that nobody could understand what I was saying. They just knew that some, something was wrong. And it was just, uh, it was kind of a shock. And even like, the funny thing about it is that uh, these things that when they hit you hard in the moment, 
you know, you might not notice that you're in the funk mentally, but then looking back, like it did, you know, it did take some time to get over that because, you know, as a college group and a group of players, you just, you just grow so close and to have something ha like that happen to somebody close to you, is, is really frightening. It was a tough, I mean, obviously with Kenny's situation, Ali getting hurt later on in the year, um, you know, a, a couple guys I think that you came in with ended up leaving Vincent, uh, Eris. Yeah. Uh, it, it seemed like in a tough introduction to the United States for you. What I mean, what, what was away from basketball? What was it like coming to a whole nother country, a whole nother world, basically? Well, I had I mean, my dad's American, so I had kind of a uh... I had, I had an introduction, <laughs> introduction level to uh, how it was going to be. But uh, so I came here and it was just, uh, it was different. You know, the world, world was, uh, it wasn't as small as it is today with all the FaceTimes and stuff. You know, we kind of had a, a Skype was kind of coming along maybe, <laughs> but it wasn't really. And so it was, it was different. I was definitely, uh, definitely missed home a lot my first year and it was tough, but uh I was kind of focused on the plan. I wanted to be a better basketball player and I knew Valpo had the tools to give it to me. They had the coaches, they had the facilities and I knew I could get a great education at the same time. And it just, you know, I kind of just stayed focused even through the hard times. And uh, I think that's good that I stuck with it because I felt like uh, I really appreciated my time at Valpo. I want to get into some specific games in a little bit, but you know, there's a lot of basketball players who come in here and they study, you know, one thing or whatever. You were a double major in sociology and criminology. I think you were, uh, I mean, you, you really, really took to the academics. Um, that's translated a little bit now to your professional life. I think you're running for office, right? Yeah, I'm actually, I just announced a week ago, I'm running for a uh, city council. So kind of, uh, kind of been coming, but it wasn't, it wasn't in my plans then. I kind of just, uh, I wanted to study some because I didn't really know what I wanted to be. So I figured if I'm going to spend four years studying something, I might as well study something that I like instead of studying something that I don't like and <laughs> end up not hating it and not working in that field anyway. So uh, I ended up doing sociology and uh, criminology was kind of a like an understudy there. It was it was kind of a branch of the sociology I took and I had psychology as a minor. And I have to uh, thank the the really the um, the school system in Finland kind of, kind of jumpstarted me, really helped me get along. And also uh, the coaches, they really made sure in the beginning that, you know, study, even, even though I spoke English, studying in different languages always, always new. So they really got me started well with all the school and everything. And I kind of, you know, I come from an academic family. My, uh, my mom's a teacher. So it's, it's a, it's a big deal for me. You made the mid-con commissioner's list of academic merit your, uh, your sophomore year, I think. And, uh, uh, list of academic excellence. You were uh, you, you were you were one of the one of the guys that kept the GPA up on the team. I can say that if I remember correctly. I'm still kind of mad because I, I I was playing the national team <laughs> some games and I would miss classes, and I would miss a couple of weeks weeks of classes. And I remember coming to an econ class and they were like, "Oh, we got a test in a week, and you're probably gonna have to drop it. I don't know how you're gonna do." And a week later, I get an A minus from the test, and <laughs> professor's like, "You wanna you wanna major in econ?" And I'm like. Sir, I'm a, I'm a senior. I would love to, but I don't think I have the time. <laughs> and then also, I remember, you know, it was some tough times. A couple of grade point, couple of grades got dropped to Ds just because of attendance. Even though I had A's or B's, 
from uh, from the test. But you know, it's you know sometimes it's like that. You mentioned uh, national team. You made several starts for the Finnish national team, playing alongside Auntie Nicola, a former Valpo. Yes. Um, what was that connection like to have to have Auntie as someone who you never played with at Valpo, but that there was a connection with there? Uh, it definitely, I think it helped in my decision to come there because uh, um, one of the big part of why I came to Valpo was because they had the history of uh, foreign players coming in and doing well and the history of sending players pro if it was overseas mostly, but still, you know, guys went pro and, and I think that was, those two things meant a lot and for a Finnish player to come through and, you know, he really enjoyed it and, you know, loved Homer and everything else. So. It, it kind of made that choice easier. So the end of your sophomore year, that super talented team, you guys go down to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oral Roberts beats you in the tournament. You come back the next year as a junior. They get you in one of the first conference games. And now you're playing them at home. You guys are down late. And you you go on this crazy – you hit – I just want to make sure I have this right. You hit a three-pointer um, – with 18 seconds left, you were you were down five. You had a three pointer to cut it to two. You guys foul right away. Uh, they they split a pair of free throws. Can you hit a three pointer at the buzzer, basically? And uh, you, you got you got the rebound on the missed free throw. You got, I'm looking up at, at my play by play <laughs> here. Do you remember this game? Do you remember these moments here in this game? Uh, yeah, I, I remember the threes, and I also remember all. You know, Homer always has had us prepared at end of game situations, no matter what the score was, the clock was, we, we were always ready. And I think that kind of that preparation really helped us to, you know, you know, stay calm. And, you know, he was calm at timeouts and we always knew we had a chance, especially at home. You know, if we just need one shot to go in and if they miss a free throw, we can make another shot. And I remember uh, I remember the uh, three that uh, tied it, actually, because that was actually kind of well contested. But I got him to bite on the shot fake. And I knew I got some space, so I got the shot up, and we got to overtime and uh, took care of them. It was, it was really And then, fun. yeah, so interesting in overtime, they get two free throws seven seconds into overtime. Urule scores about 10 seconds later. Now it's tied 67-67. Two and a half minutes go by, nothing happens. You hit a three-pointer with 210 left, and then there's not another point for the rest of the game. There were seven points in that overtime. That's insane. You know, the, the, it just was, it was such a crazy game. Um, how I mean, Oral Roberts, obviously when you're from Finland, like Oral Roberts doesn't probably mean a lot when you get here, but they were a rival, right? They were, I yeah, mean, they, they, they were, were the team to beat, time. right? Yeah. Big time rival. Yeah. I remember it was always, uh, always tough games against them. That's why that was a sweet victory that we were able to beat them after overtime. My favorite, I, I was not, I did not cover the team that, uh, that year. And I remember that night, my, my roommate and I, who did cover the team, we went to Applebee's afterward and the entire coaching staff was there. Like we got to Applebee's like a half hour before it closed and Homer came over and he threw like 40 bucks down on my table and said, I'm buying your guys dinner tonight. I can't believe we won the game. So Sean, thank you. You, you inadvertently bought my dinner. Um, That's great. Which I then think I saw you guys later on, maybe celebrating that win at uh, an establishment in town. And I, I remember just thinking, Oh, this is amazing. It was just felt like a big, big, big win. Um, 
you know, that year, obviously you guys go down to Oklahoma, lose a tough game, and then you shift to the Horizon League. What was that like changing conferences and, and you know, going into your final year? Uh, I think it was, uh, I think the travel got a little bit easier because the teams were closer. Yeah. There was also, uh, you know, there was, there was potential, you know, rivalries with Butler, you know, being an Indiana school and then, you know, Butler was coming up, they were being really, they were playing really well. And I think Brad Stevens was the coach then. Yeah. 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 So it was, you know, so they were coming along and, and, you know, with, you know, games against Wright State, I remember it was really a competitive conference and, and we had some really good games that year too. Some nail biters. I remember. Coaches will never answer these questions truthfully. Players might. Your senior year, you went to Wisconsin in what I think was the worst officiated basketball game I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you guys shot 17 free throws. They shot 36, I think. And they, they were 17 of 36. So they weren't even good at the free throw line. You guys were winning late in the game, and I think they called a carry on Jared Lloyd with like yes. with like 30 seconds left, which, again, if you're going to call that, call that in the first minute, not in the 40th minute. Um, what as a player when you go into these high major North Carolina Duke Wisconsin, do you know it's going to be five on eight against the officials I mean is that just what you have to embrace yeah it's kind of uh you know a small school you go to play especially if you go to their place it's not gonna you know the referees they're getting pressure from the crowd it's just it's kind of human nature but uh you know, the referees, if you make shots, the referees can't take those away. So <laughs> that's the sure. other side of it. So, so it kind of, you know, it's tough, but it's, it's kind of, you kind of have to know that as a small school that you have to be, you know, you can't let it be a close game. You have to be up by 10 or something at the end. So you can really close it and you can't, you can't leave it to the referees to decide. Cause you kind of, you know, it's not that, it's not that the referees are biased. It's just that it's, this has been studied over and over again, you know, home, home court and bigger team. It's just, uh, you know, referees are human too. It's human nature. Crowd is coming at you. They're going to call some things. The 50 fifties are not going to always go 50 50. I, I, I remember that was, that's a Homer Drew saying something about you have to be up 10 with five to go yeah. or, or whatever in yeah. order to get a fair shake. And that was uh man, that game was basically tied with a minute left. And, um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was rough. Uh, that Miami of Ohio game, 32 points. Uh, you guys played double overtime. Um, you were dialed in. That was a, that was a fun game. You, you remember anything specific about that one? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, we had played a terrible game at, uh, uh, Loyola at Michigan. I'm not Loyola, Michigan. I mean, Loyola, Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, we had played a terrible game and, you know, everybody was feeling bad and, we came back off the bus and I'm just going to make a long story short. Uh, me and Homer kind of got into it. <laughs> oh no, it was, you do not have to make this story short. I want to hear all no, of it. <laughs> no, no, it was some, you know, it was some, uh, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're a tight knit group, like we are, you know, things sometimes, you know, emotions, emotions get high because everybody wants to win, you know, and you want to win so bad that when you come off a bad loss like that, it hurts. And, you know, you know, we got, you know, words got thrown around. We got mad. We yelled at each other. But at the end, you know, we both knew, you know, we shook hands. We were good. And we knew, you know, both of us want to win. We're competitors. We're here for the same things. We're mad for the same reasons. Let's let's put it all on the court. And I came out the next day and probably played the best game, best game of my career. So 
you were in that Loyola game. You were two of ten from the floor. It was a it was a tough it was a tough game. Yeah, and tough game. Uh, in that Miami of Ohio game, you were ten of 13, six of eight from the three point line. Yeah. You play. It was just it was amazing. It was and that was that was such a fun game because I mean here's this kind of made for TV broadcast game. Um, and uh, and oh, that was that was a fun one to watch. I think I scored twenty six in the second half. Yes, the, the funny thing the funny thing about that is that uh, I didn't know this at the time, but uh, my uh, I think my my mom and my brother were there, and for some schedule reason or something, they thought the game was later and they didn't show up until halftime. <laughs> so they actually got to see when I played really well the second half, which is well, it was, it was great. That was uh, that was a fun one. Four thousand people in the arc for that game, yeah. and you guys ended up rattling off again five straight wins after that, and then. Uh, you, you didn't lose until a very tough game in the Horizon League semifinals against Cleveland State. And, you know, I, and then you end up going to Washington, you win and you go to Houston. Um, I just, you know, how, how tough was it to play your final game? You had, you had a couple options, a couple times there where you put the uniform on where it might've been the last game. Uh, was it, uh, was it sadness? Was it, what was it like uh, putting on the Valpo uniform for the final time? I mean, the Cleveland State game, it was, you know, it was tough. Uh, we went 0-3 against them that year. And <laughs> I still remember it to this day. You remember your losses because they shot 30% from three as a team for the season. And we played three again, three games against them, and they shot 50% from three every game. And we just we just thought, you know, the numbers would, you know, the, they would catch up to them, but they never caught up to them. They just made threes, and they ended up winning the game. So it's you know it's tough when you lose like that because I really felt like we had a chance against Butler I feel like Cleveland State was a kind of a worse matchup for us and that I mean everything after that was kind of just uh, extra after that Cleveland State game I was you know happy to play after that but the Cleveland State it was really it was really emotional in the locker room after that and I remember also the undergraduates you know for our seniors how like emotionally got also for them because they could kind of feel that it was our last game and we were out of there but you know at the same time four years is also a long time and it was time time to write another chapter in my career and and it was kind of even though it was emotional I, I still felt like it was time you're married now you I think you've got a couple of children are they in, into basketball yes actually uh, yeah I have two children uh, uh, seven and four my son is seven Noel uh, he's actually into basketball and also Taekwondo and anything, anything we can move and run around. And my daughter has actually uh, got into a basketball group too. So they kind of got into it by their own. I didn't even have to push them that way, but they're having fun. And that's the most important thing. You know, I just want them to have fun, whatever it is, if it's basketball or, or, or soccer or, or Taekwondo, like my son is doing anything, whatever they're doing, I just want them to have fun couple of quick hitting questions for you as we wrap this up. Who was the toughest teammate you had to guard in practice? Oh, probably Ron Howard. It's just so, so quick. <laughs> Ron, who went on to have a uh, excellent career in the G League or the, the D League, whatever it was. He's uh, affectionately known as Mr. Mad Ant uh, at Fort, yeah. Wayne, Fort Wayne Mad Ants. He never quite got the NBA shot. He had a couple of, of opportunities in camps and things like that. And I, I want to ask you this question. Did in terms of professional basketball, was, was there, was there a goal that you set of a level that you wanted to reach and, and kind of uh, 
as you look back on now your professional career, has it gone the way that you wanted it to go? Yeah, for me, I always, you know, I'm kind of a, uh, I'm kind of weird, but it was, for me, it was always about the game and playing it the right way. And I think that's why I played so much with the national team and I enjoyed the national team game so much because uh, when I played there, the game is so pure because we don't get paid for it. <laughs> we just do it for the love of the game and for our country. And it's just, it's so much fun. And uh, playing professional is really hard to capture that feeling and playing that way. And uh, a lot of times actually playing more selfish and playing for yourself is more advantageous. Like you, it helps you with your career, definitely. And I would say, uh, I would say I, that I succeeded in, you know, doing the things that I set out for myself. I wanted to play basketball since I was little. I wanted to have fun. I've done that. And I've, I never compromised who I am as a player. And those are the things I'm really happy about right now. And, 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 as I'm winding down my career, I have to say that I'm actually playing some of the most fun basketball right now with the team that I'm having. So it's a great way to finish things up. You finished tied with Bryce Drew uh, at 43.5% from the three-point line in your career. The only two guys that topped you were Sam Hampa, also from Finland, of course, and, uh, and then Ryan Fazekas, who just wrapped up his career at Valpo uh, this past year. He, he finished at 46 Who's a better three-point shooter, you or Bryce Drew? Bryce Drew, definitely. <laughs> he's a, he's he's a natural. I feel like I feel like I had to. Uh, I'm not taking Bryce's work away from his shot, but uh, shooting just like uh, jumping or something else is kind of you have the natural feel. And Bryce just it was just. I played with him, you know, the year before when I was a freshman. He would come and I worked out with him, and it's just it's unbelievable his shot, how pure it is. It's just. I feel like I'm kind of more of a lucky shooter. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You guys, you guys both finished at 43 and percent from the three point line. You made 170 in your career. He made 364. So he, he took more shots than you did. So, yeah, uh, but my first, he, he helped me actually get to that 43 because he, he worked on my shot. I wasn't really shooting that well and or playing that many minutes. So, so he actually helped me get to that. So a lot of thanks goes to him. Excellent. Very good. Sean, do you keep up with Valpo at all now? Is it is it is it difficult to to monitor how they're doing, or or what what do you what do you think of the Valpo team in, in the past couple of years? Have you seen them at all? Uh, I keep up every now and then. I uh, I, I uh, you know if they make the tournament, I watch the tournament. But I have to say, as as time goes, I've had to uh, I had to give up some sports leagues that I haven't been able to watch and. Unfortunately, college basketball is one of them. <laughs> well, it sounds like you don't have to watch the NFL anymore because you got knocked out of the fantasy playoffs. So, yeah. So NFL is, you know, NFL, I've been watching NFL, but I kind of, you know, I follow how they do and every now and then I try to catch up and we actually had a great zoom last spring with uh, coach Gore and we got to catch up with a lot of the old guys. And that was actually great. I'll end with this. You're running for city council. Life is more than basketball. What, what, what are you trying to accomplish and kind of how excited are you for this opportunity in front of you? Uh, I'm really excited, you know, just to have an opportunity of trying to do something else than basketball. And I think the main things right now is, is I'm running for the city of Helsinki. It's the capital. It's a big city. And I'm kind of trying to run for, uh, I feel like the kind of the side of town that I'm living in is un underrepresented. So I want to have more representation from our side of town. And uh, surprise, surprise, I, uh, <laughs> I, I want people, uh, I want to make uh, kind of sports and moving for youth easier and joining clubs teams easier. So kind of everybody would have the chance to 
to move and do sports and you know even even i want to kind of represent the the athletes and sports people you know who make decisions of you know arenas or outdoor courts or things like that and kind of kind of because uh, the city council is a representation of the city and so i feel like they need people from all assets of life well sean i know that if the people from valpo could vote they would ha you, <laughs> you'd have their vote so sean thank you so much for joining uh obviously it was a pleasure to catch up with you and, and it was so fun to watch you play over your couple of years here at valpo and and uh and we look forward to a nice ride into the sunset of your professional career yeah thank you very much this was fun and uh anytime if you, you need a guest or if somebody uh, backs out just uh, shoot me a text and i'll be back on thank you very much